Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. Notre Dame football is back on campus after an off week in the schedule and fall break from classes. The Irish are gearing up for a two-game stretch before another off week that starts with a home game against a struggling Pittsburgh team. But the Panthers, led by head coach Pat Narduzzi, typically play competitive against the Irish. The last time Pitt came to Notre Dame Stadium in 2018, Miles Boykin scored the game-winning touchdown on a 35-yard pass from Ian Book in the fourth quarter. So we invited the former Notre Dame wide receiver onto this week's podcast. Miles is playing his second season with the Pittsburgh Steelers after starting his NFL career with three seasons with the Baltimore Ravens. Miles, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Miles, first off, your quarterback, Kenny Pickett, is a Pitt alum. Has the trash talk already started between the two of you? You know what? I didn't realize that we were on that week. So, And I saw him today in the facility, so I'm definitely going to say something to him tomorrow. <laughs> Miles, uh, you were back for the USC game on October 14th. You were back for the Clemson game last year. So you've been back for Marcus Freeman's top two wins. I guess based on you being in the stadium, you should be back every game. And then uh, you you must think that they should be playing for a national title. But I am really curious what your impressions were overall from the USC game. Um, What I saw the USC game was just a team that was hungry. Um, I think anytime Notre Dame plays like that in, in that environment, uh, the later it gets in the season, playing in South Bend is a hard place to play. And uh, I honestly think that's why a lot of teams don't have a lot of success coming to South Bend later in the season. It gets a little bit colder. Um, it's just perfect football weather for us. You know, I always look forward to playing night games late in the season. I remember my senior my senior year, we played Florida State in the night game, and it was over before it even started. Um, I think it's just really one of the tougher environments in college football. Uh, Miles, because Pat Narduzzi is still Pitt's head coach, and that's who you played against when you were at Pitt, what – what did you guys know that you were going to get when playing against a Pat Narduzzi pit team? Oh, uh, they're a defensive minded team. I, I still remember going to the meetings, uh, the cover four that he loves playing. Um, they're, they're, they're a very defensive minded team. And like you said, they're always going to play us tough. So it doesn't matter what their record is. It doesn't matter how they played earlier in the season. It's always going to be tough when you play against his teams. Did you have a sense as a player how much he despised Notre Dame because he's always complaining about them not being a full ACC member? And he actually, Tyler will probably grill you about this, but he actually brought up a play involving you in that 2018 game without naming you, but referenced it. I had no idea he didn't like Notre Dame, actually. But that's kind of funny because, I mean, nobody really likes Notre Dame. Let's be <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> Unless you went there or you're a fan, nobody really likes us. So, it's okay, I always have to hear it in the locker room. Yeah, so uh, what Eric was hinting at, I was reading through uh, Pat Narduzzi's press conference yesterday, um, and he was getting asked about some, some penalties and stuff like that. And then he was talking about, I think there must have been like a defensive holding penalty or pass interference penalty. But he was saying, hey, our guy was maybe been holding, but the offensive guy always gets away with pushing off. And then, and then he was like, yeah, the last time I went to Notre Dame, they got away with that, too. And I on a post play, which I'm assuming he meant was your your game winning <laughs> touchdown catch. Now, for the record, did you get away with pass interference on that play? Absolutely not. If you if, actually, if you go back and watch it, he was holding me the whole time. It should have been a holding call anyways. So 
I mean, they just got what was coming to them at that point. <laughs> well, the the video evidence backs up your story, but uh, we just thought maybe there was something we didn't see. Maybe you <laughs> there. So, so Miles, I'll follow up with this. With, with the current wide receivers on this team, have you gotten a chance to get to know any of them other than, hey, how's it going kind of stuff? Uh, not on a personal level. Um, I've watched them play. Uh, I think they're a very talented group, and I think they're a very young group. Um, and I think that – actually, I take that back. I met Jaden Greathouse uh, right after he committed. I was at the spring game with him and got a chance to talk to him and his mom for a little bit. But, yeah, like I was saying, I think they're extremely talented but also a very young group, and I think that um, they're going to be one of the strong points of this team. Okay, so you're a guy who went from redshirting your freshman year to six catches to 12 catches to like 59. So there was a definite progression, but also you had to be patient at some point. So how would you describe that process and how difficult was it to go through it till you got to that 59 catch threshold? And it's, I think everything happens for a reason. And obviously you have to be extremely patient. You know, I always felt like I could play, but uh, I mean, you guys were there. We always had, you know, a pretty good receiver room, you know, the whole time I was there, but, you know, I look at the college football landscape today and it's like, it's, it's so rare to see kids go through that nowadays just because you can get in the portal and leave and go to another school and play right away. And so I think it makes it harder, you know, for kids to develop in a sense because they're not getting a chance to, you know, maybe sit a year or sit two years and then just be able to go play. Um, so I, I think it's very tough for kids to develop nowadays, but you know, I was fortunate enough to be in a situation to where um, I could learn from the guys ahead of me and be able to develop. And then when I was ready to play, just go out there and ball. Miles, you mentioned meeting Jaden Greathouse. He, he had to, he's one of those guys has had to wait long. His first game against Navy, he had two touchdown catches. He's been struggling with some hamstring issues as of late, but what, what, what do you, what do you, what can you see in receivers that allows them to be able to play right away? What what does it take to be able to sort of make that leap as a freshman in college? I think the first thing you, you got to be a smart player, and uh, clearly that's what he is if he's playing as a true freshman. You know, I got that impression from him when I met him. But you you have to be smart first and foremost. You got to be able to learn the playbook, uh, learn what the offense is trying to accomplish on any given play, and then you know obviously you're at Notre Dame, so I think the majority of people there have are going to have the physical tools to be able to play on that level. It's just a matter of when they put it together and when they can, you know, utilize it. Okay. Well, speaking of putting it all together, the wide receiver that all the people on our message board talk about is Tobias Merriweather. You know, he's got eight catches. He's played the most snaps. And yet I think there was an expectation this year that he would take a bigger leap. Now he only had one catch last year, but but there was the hope and the expectation that he would have a breakthrough season. So what are you seeing when you watch Tobias? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's, it's in terms of what I'm seeing or what I'm not seeing, you know, sometimes things just take, it takes time, especially at the receiver position. You realize how much, you know, your success is based off of other positions, you know, the offensive line has to do their job. The quarterback has to do their job. You know, maybe the running back has to pick up a protection in order for you to get open on a route. Um, there's just so many things that have to go right sometimes in order for you to, you know, succeed at receiver that, you know, sometimes it just takes time. You know, sometimes you're not in the best position or sometimes, you know, you might get missed on this play. You know, there's 
three of three of three of us out there on any given play as well. So um, if everybody else is doing their job, you know, things get spread around a little bit. So I don't I don't know if I can attribute that to anything that he's he's doing right or doing wrong. Um, I would just say sometimes you just got to be patient to let things unfold and see see what comes from that. Miles, what does it take to sort of get out of a funk like that? Like if you've either maybe had some missed opportunities or maybe the ball isn't coming your way as much, how, how do you sort of get out of that and get your confidence back to 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 sort of produce to the level that you want to? Yeah, I, I mean, I know for me, like my the first couple of games for me, my senior year didn't go the way I wanted them to go. But, you know, I just try to harp on the basics and focus on other aspects of my game to help my team win. Like blocking was a huge thing for me when I was there. So mm-hmm. Uh, when I wasn't catching the ball, I was making sure I was going to, you know, put a block on tape that was going to help other guys out or uh, run route concepts that were getting other people open. And I, I think that's just at receiver. Sometimes that's that's one of the hardest things to do is to be unselfish in that way and look at your game as, you know, take out the stats and just do the things that help your team win that don't show up on the stat sheet. Miles, Sam Hartman came to Notre Dame because he wanted to possibly enhances chances of playing in the NFL someday. When you look at Sam Hartman, what do you see from a college quarterback standpoint? What do you see from a possible future pro standpoint? Man, I think the biggest thing that I see in him is just his composure. Um, In order to play on the NFL level, you have to have composure. I don't care what position it is, but especially a quarterback, you need composure to play. And uh, that dude, I've never seen him get flustered. He sits in the pocket. He does his job to the best of ability, and he's a great leader, which are all great attributes in order to be an uh, NFL quarterback, and that's what I've seen in him. So um, definitely have a lot of praise for him and, and love the way that he's come in and play for us. Miles, you've mentioned that you've been back on campus a few times since Marcus Freeman has been head coach. He seems to have made a pretty uh, significant effort to make sure that players from the past feel connected to the program. What what? How would you describe – the job he's done and how important that is in terms of reaching out to guys like yourself and other guys that are are former Notre Dame players. It's been great. Um, Obviously, you know, just speaking for myself and even other alumni that I've talked to, he makes us feel proud to be alumni, you know, of this university. You know, when we come back, he treats us great. Um, You know, just from the standpoint, I remember the first spring game that that they had when he was there. Um, He reached out to all of us and wanted us to know that, you know, we're always welcome to come back there and that um, this university isn't going to be as great as it can be unless we come back as, as a group and we're pouring back into the university of what we learned. And so for him to be able to have that insight from him from day one, uh, we know he's committed to building the best program that he can build. So, Miles, the the play that everybody from Notre Dame will remember you for was the play in the bowl game. And there's two things from that that I think are remarkable. One is, I don't know that I've seen somebody take a a play like that and build on it the way you did. I mean, sometimes that's just a moment in time that you'll remember forever, but for you, it was, it felt like a stepping stone. So I wanted you to speak to that. The other thing I'd like you to address is I think your mom was in the ladies room. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) So I'll talk about the first one. Uh, Yeah. For me, um, that whole bowl prep, that 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 stretch that we were practicing before we went to the bowl game, uh, I felt like I had a good string of bowl practices. And, um, you know, I knew I was going to be playing more than what I had during the season. And for me, it was always just, you know, kind of like I already talked about, I, I just wanted to be able to go out there and help the team win no matter what I was doing. So uh, 
every time I step out on that field, that's all I tried to do. And I just knew that, you know, I always had confidence in myself. My numbers necessarily didn't speak to it, but I always had confidence in myself and what I could do. And I felt like my teammates felt the same for me. And uh, I was just fortunate enough to be able to go out there and, you know, make that play to help us win the game. That, that's what was important to me. You know, it wouldn't have mattered if I scored or if I didn't score, if someone else scored, as long as I went out there and gave my team the best chance to win. Uh, that's really what I wanted to go out there and show and prove uh, that I could do at Notre Dame. But yeah, my mom was, uh, she was in the bathroom when, <laughs> when she came out, I guess everything had, you know, the dust had settled and she had to keep watching uh, the reviews that they were playing in the stadium. But uh, yeah, she took a, a hell of a time to, for a bathroom break. <laughs> <laughs> Miles, you were back on campus for the USC game, and, and Ian Book was there as well. What was it like getting a chance to reconnect with him, and how how connected have you guys stayed since uh, your Notre Dame careers? It's great, man. We always talk here and there. Uh, obviously, during the season, things get busy, but um, it was great being able to see him again and just you know sit next to him. We just reminisce a little bit <laughs> about some of the plays that we used to run, and it was it was great. I sat next to him the whole time in the box, and it was just it was really just me and him. And then you know, uh, his fiance was up there, and then. My parents were there, or my 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 dad was there, my brother was there, and we were just, you know, kind of just all talking about the good old times. Miles, what's um, what's the best part about being in the NFL other than the paycheck, and what's maybe the most challenging part? Oh gosh, the best part. Uh, I would say I get to play a game for a living. Um, I think I think when once you get to the NFL, you realize how much this game affects other people. Like it's it's always kind of funny just driving around like Pittsburgh and like you cannot go anywhere without seeing a Pittsburgh Steelers jersey somewhere, a sign like the logo. Like you will see it everywhere, and you realize how much how much people you actually affect playing a simple game. You know, it's simple to us, but uh, it means a lot to people around the world. And I'm sorry, what was the second question? What's been the most challenging part of being an NFL player? The most challenging part is just honestly the business of it and how how serious it is at the same time. Like we're saying, it's a game, but there's so many things that go into it, and it's so important and so critical that uh, it's mentally exhausting at times. It's physically exhausting at times, um, and I, I would say that's the hardest part. You know, I would say when people always ask me to complain, like to try to compare high school football to college football to the NFL, um, it's all the same game. It just gets more business like the more you move up it. So uh, it becomes less fun and more about business. Although regardless of what level you are, you're going to be having fun. It just becomes less fun and more about business because, you know, this is how I feed my family. So it has to be taken more serious. Just following up on your observations about playing in Pittsburgh, we were at a Pitt-Notre Dame game uh, several years ago, and we went out to get something to eat. And you would have thought it was Steelers game day. There were Steelers <laughs> up everywhere. They were playing this Steeler song about them going to the Super Bowl. Um, in fact, somebody bought the audio for me. Uh, but it was it was crazy. I mean, almost nobody was talking about Pitt and Notre Dame <laughs> on that street. It was pretty crazy. No, it's I can't I can't go anywhere. It's kind of funny because uh, so I stay in the same place. You know, for the, the second year, my second year here in Pittsburgh, I stay in the same place. And some of the kids in the neighborhood are starting to like realize that I play for the Steelers. So when I get home from practice, they're outside playing and they'll follow my car all the way to my garage just to like get a peek at me real quick. <laughs> but that's just like indicative of like the whole Pittsburgh, you know, area. Everyone's just crazy about the Steelers. Miles, you've played on both ends of a, a pretty tough rivalry in the NFL with ba with Baltimore and Pittsburgh. How would you describe what that rivalry is like? And is it similar in any way to some of the rivalries you've played in at, at Notre Dame? 
I I'm biased, but I think it's the best rivalry in the NFL. Um, obviously because I played on both sides of it and how physical it is. But uh, I try to explain to people like everyone thinks you know. Obviously, every game is physical, but when the Steelers play the Ravens, it's completely different. It's just the most physical football game of the year. Um, and parts of that reminds me of Notre Dame and just being, you know, what we try to instill, like playing at Notre Dame. Like we're not one of those pretty boy schools. Like we go out there and get the job done no matter what it takes. Like we used to, you know, really run the ball when I was there and make tough plays at receiver. That's that's how we won games and that's how we win games, you know, in, in Pittsburgh. So uh, for me to be able to see that on the college level and then transfer it to the NFL level, I really felt like I was, you know, prepared for it. But I, I would say, me personally, that's how I always think. Like when we played USC, that's what it was kind of like. You know, like they have the skill positions and they want to look cute doing everything. But like, no, we were just going to go out there and beat their ass. That's what we were really concerned about. Miles, the last one for me is, you know, a lot maybe in the more in the recent years than when you played more and more players are kind of opting out of bowls. I don't think we've seen anybody opt out of a playoff, but even New Year's Six Bowls, some guys aren't playing. I'm wondering, you know, what do you think? Is there really any incentive? Did you look at those? Obviously, you had a great bowl experience, but, I mean, do you feel like your teammate, anybody looked at that as a meaningless game, or how do you look at the bowl games that aren't, you know, in the playoff? No, bowl games are extremely important for for several reasons. Now, I understand why if you're a bona fide first round draft pick and you sit out of it and it's not a playoff game, I understand why you would do that. But uh, for everybody else on the team, you know, obviously it's a huge opportunity. It's especially and I think leading up to it, the most important part of it is those bowl practices, the bowl prep practices, especially for like the younger guys to be able to get out there and really, you know, take a break from scout team and just practice and, you know, work on your skills again, you know, for your team personally. But um, I think the, the majority of people and majority of teams understand why, you know, certain people sit out of games and I understand it. That's part of their business. You know, they uh, at that, at that point, you know, they would have given everything that they could to the university, but now it's time for them to start, you know, thinking about themselves and their career and how they can be most successful for them. So I think most people understand that from that perspective, even though I can get why fans would be a little bit upset when, you know, their best players aren't playing in a certain game. But I think their teammates and their coaches understand why they would do that. All right, Miles, that's all we have for you. I understand if you don't want to give Kenny too hard of a time before the game because I, I know you, he needs to throw you the football too. So um, <laughs> maybe don't trash talk too much until after no, the game. I'm, I'm going to tell him every single day <laughs> this week. <laughs> I'm telling him every single day. All right, well, we wish you the best of luck with your NFL career, and we appreciate you always taking time to talk to us. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. Before we get to our question segment, I wanted to remind our listeners of a new promo we're offering for InsideIndieSports.com. We have a 30-day free trial that our podcast listeners can take advantage of for anyone who wants to try out a subscription to InsideIndieSports.com. That will get you access to all of our premium content, the Inside Allowance message board, and then you don't have to wait around for the next podcast to ask us a question. You can take advantage of this offer by using promo code NDPOD, that's N-D-P-O-D, when you sign up for a subscription on InsideIndieSports.com, you can also find a link to the deal in the podcast description or show notes. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from at Charles W. Wolf. 
coming out of a much needed buy. What are you looking to see on Saturday that would give you confidence that a New Year's six appearance is still in the cards for this team? I I think what I would need to see is a team that looks like it has a second wind and that is improving. Um, you know, Notre Dame's schedule strength isn't going to be competitive with the teams that it's trying to compete with for a New Year's six berth uh, from the standpoint of getting into the top 10. So they're going to have to look like a team that's better than they were in September and early October. So what does that look like? I think a defense that could play to the level of winning a game on its own if the offense goes sideways, but the offense better not go sideways. Uh, the offense needs to look like it found an answer to uh, being able to move the ball against a loaded box. Yeah, I mean, I think a def- the defense has played to that level a lot. Um, so I, I, I'm more interested in seeing well like okay what's this next step for the offense is this what the offense is or can the offense be better than what it's been as of late so i want to see a dynamic offense that can make plays down the field um and run the ball at will and if Notre Dame can do that then i think it's the type of team that would be able to run the table and make a strong case to be in a new york six game all right next question is from at notre dame expert six and two at the bye and still a lot to play for what adjective would you use to describe the season also, too many complainers in this generation of football fans about bye week timing could have been better, yes, but anytime you give me a week to crush a cheeseburger, I'll take it. Okay, so my adjective would not be scrum delicious. I said that to somebody sitting next to me in a Charlie Weiss press conference and it got me in trouble. <laughs> so I will say spastic. And I mean that in a good way in that there's been some unpredictability good and bad six and two is what I thought Notre Dame would be at this point in the season they've just arrived there differently I thought the offense would be ahead of the defense and I thought you know they would probably lose the USC game but beat Louisville Um, and then as far as the cheeseburger you know I was given some thought to this Ironically, I actually did have a cheeseburger on Saturday, on the bike <laughs> Saturday uh, with my grandkids. We went to this little pub and, you know, I asked my son what the best things on the menu were. And he said either the pizza or the burgers. And I ended up getting something called the brush burger, which had cheese and jalapenos and some other great things on it. But it was a cheeseburger. So it was very delicious. All right. A little birthday cheeseburger. Um, my adjective would be displeasing. Um, I, I feel like it's not just that, that, like, like you said, six and two, I think is sort of where a lot of us thought that this team could be at this point in the season, but I think the opportunities have been there. Like they should have beat Ohio state. Um, and the, the way that they lost to Louisville is, is I think annoying is probably the best way I would describe it. Uh, so I just feel like, uh, the six and two record and the way the Notre Dame has gotten to it would be a displeasing um, season to this point. All right. Next question is from SJB 75 on the inside lounge. Pat Narduzzi, a veteran respected defensive minded head coach visits South bend on Saturday. Do you expect a tough hard fought game where the offense struggles a bit or coming off a of bye week Do you foresee a game that sees the Notre Dame offense shine and Notre Dame wins big over pit and covers the current 19 point spread? 
Well, I'll tell you, they've been all over the place for a two and five team. I mean, they whooped Louisville now. Again, that was a uh, turnover skewed game in, in their favor. But I mean, they got blown out by Virginia Tech. Uh, they got beat by Cincinnati. I mean, they've been all over the place and they should have handled Wake Forest in their third string quarterback. I think Pitt's going to have trouble scoring in that game. I'm not crazy about that spread, which I think is up to 21 and a half now. Uh, Notre Dame should be better offensively. I still have kind of muscle memory of them not being overly impressive offensively. So, um, I mean, it hinges on the passing game. I, I don't have a question about whether Notre Dame will win. My question is, what Notre Dame's point total would be. I, again, I think the defense will do a good job against Pitt's offense. Yeah, I'm leaning toward a good offensive week for Notre Dame. Um, maybe that's just optimism. I I think there were some good good signs against USC. I don't think Notre Dame's offense played well, extremely well against USC, but I think there were good signs and some things to build on. And so I am going – I'm leaning towards at this point of the week to Notre Dame being able to put things together, Jaden Greathouse and Jaden Thomas making an impact on the passing game and Notre Dame being able to put things together for uh, an impressive offensive performance, potentially for the first time in over a month. All right. Next question is from LDL go Irish on the inside lounge. To my recollection, Notre Dame's defense has given up three long run plays, Ohio state, Louisville and USC. To my eye, the DBs were in man each time. All plays went wide. There was a missed tackle downfield in the secondary versus Ohio State. And on all occasions, a linebacker slash defensive end crashed the end, and the linebacker was not able to scrape off in time to be in position to make the tackle. For OSU's run, the linebackers were J.D. and Marist. Louisville run were Marist and Jack. USC run were J.D. and Marist. You made the point, you being me. Uh, the point that Al Golden has improved the linebacker play among these three linebackers. It appears that if JD takes a half, half of a wrong step, he is not athletic enough to recover. Maris too, takes too many wrong steps, mostly aggressive, but misses a read at times. And Jack plays well, but can be more aggressive. Despite the great work Al Golden has done with these three linebackers, is ND susceptible to long outside runs, especially when playing man in the back end? I'm going to let you go first on that. I've got an answer, and I won't change it, but I, I don't study the film like you do, so I'd rather hear your answer first. Um. Okay. Uh. I will say, well, first, Notre Dame has allowed five runs of 30-plus yards, um, which is tied for 92nd, um, according to cfbstats.com. So 92nd meaning one is really good. One, or- Yeah, zero is, is number one, um, okay. and 92nd uh, is – uh, is down the list. Uh, Notre, Notre Dame has a lot of, so Notre Dame has a lot of five of 30 plus and two of 40 plus. Um, and those five runs have happened against Louisville. There was a 45 yard run, Ohio state, 61 yard run. USC had a 31 yard run. So those are the ones LDL mentioned. And then there was also two 30 plus yard runs against Duke. Um, I, I would agree. Yes. I mean, the, 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 it, Notre Dame is susceptible to long runs. I would not put it on the linebackers all, all on them. I, there are, like I, 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 ran, I went back and looked at all five of these plays. The Louisville touchdown run, Marisley Afal hesitated and got outrun to the outside, and D.J. Brown took a bad angle, um, and that allows Notre, uh, 
Louisville to score. Ohio State, Xavier Watts misses a tackle that could have stopped the, the game for like an eight-yard gain, and it becomes a 61-yard touchdown run. Uh, the USC one was the speed option play, which some teams have used against Notre Dame, but Notre Dame simply was outflanked in that situation. I feel like it's just a good call against a bad defensive call. Um, J.D. Bertrand basically was there to try to stop Caleb Williams and um, Lynch on his own. Um, so I don't know that he was going to be able to do that. Like, I don't know what else. And there was a single high safety and he was on the far side of the field. So there was two guys manned up on, on wide receivers. So maybe those guys need to recognize run sooner. Um, I just think that was a good play call against Notre Dame's defense in that situation. And then the two runs against Duke, um, the running back run, Maris Leifau hesitated and then DJ Brown misses a tackle. Um, and then there was a poor contain on the, the, the Leonard Riley Leonard run and, Benjamin Morrison missed a tackle. So some of it's missed tackling, but yeah, I think, I mean, it's definitely safe to say that that Notre Dame is susceptible. I just don't think it's fair to put it all on the linebackers to, to be the reason why they're susceptible at times. So again, I didn't go over all over the film. I don't have the stats that Tyler has, um, but here, here's what I'll say about it. I mean, it, it may make them susceptible to the run, but what is the benefit of playing? man, are is Notre Dame getting some great matchups in the passing game? Is that one of the reasons why they're fourth in the country against the pass, having faced, you know, some future NFL quarterbacks and some other pretty good ones uh, to have that ranking? Is their man defense, you know, worth the risk of maybe giving up a long run or here, here or there? As far as those three linebackers kaiser's graded out well all year so he's doing some good things he's got one of the best linebacker grades in the nation now does he make the wow freaky plays no uh and and the other thing is endy's and nickel a lot more uh than they're in their base i think bertrand is productive and really good at play diagnosis marist is a risk reward player and it seems like it's up and down whether it's more risk or reward uh, I don't think we're going to see changes in lineup at this point. I I think your question was more to should they be playing this much man, maybe. Um, and again, they maybe aren't the most athletic linebackers, but being in the right place, making the right defensive calls counts for a lot. I think, again, as Notre Dame turns over that linebacker group, I think people are going to be happier with a linebacker plays, because I think you'll get that kind of savvy eventually with those guys and you'll get more athletic linebackers. But I think Al Golden has done a good job with these three. Yeah. I, so I, part of this was like in response to, like, like I mentioned, he was talking about me. I made the point that Al Golden has improved the linebacker play with those three guys. I feel, I feel like all three of those guys are playing better this year than last year. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Okay. I, I think especially Marist, even though it's been up and down. Right. Last year it was pretty much all down. I mean, mm -hmm. there wasn't many highlights for Marist. And I think Kaiser has improved. And I think JD Bertrand is super productive. And and again, what what was the game where he missed, Tyler? Was it Central Michigan? Yes. Okay. And you could see the difference in his presence on the field in terms of them being in the right calls and so forth. Mm -hmm. I think he makes a big difference, his presence on the field. And you talk to his teammates and they'll tell you the same thing. 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. If you look at, um, there's a thread on the Insider Lounge that VCND has been updating since the, uh, the beginning of October of the amount of points that Notre Dame has allowed in the first half, and they've only given up 40 points so far this season in the first halves. Um, and the most they've allowed in the first half was against Central Michigan. So I think that uh, that, that tends to signify that, yeah, maybe J.D. Bertrand is is important out there and uh, um, that, that Notre Dame uh, – uh, misses him when he isn't out there all right next question is from at coffee dark roast which nd transfer has surprised you good or bad and who would you like to have seen in 2023 play for notre dame um and here's the list that he provided us wide receiver jordan johnson defensive tackles jamie on franklin or jacob lacy linebackers prince collie or shane simon running backs sebo flemister and, and logan Diggs. excuse me and quarterbacks tyler buckner drew pine or phil Dracovic or someone off the board yeah, I w- went ahead and stayed with this list. I mean, the the list of transfers is pretty long since Coffee Dark Roast went to the trouble putting together a list. I'm going to use his list. Um, Jordan Johnson would be be just because of his five star status. He he never had he has yet to have an FBS catch. Didn't have any at UCF. He went in the portal. No takers. He's at a junior college in Iowa right now. And I believe he finally has catches there. So they're junior college catches, not FBS catches. It's not like he's tearing it up. Um, so I would say him. And I I would also put Phil Jakovic in the disappointing, big disappointment category after a, a big kind of coming out party at Boston College has really regressed. I don't know how much of that is due to injury, to, but to be Pitt's third string quarterback, at this point, given the other alternatives and given that he um, he reunited with Frank Signetti, um, you know, his Boston College, the guy that he did so well in his first year at Boston College, I think is disappointing. As far as a pleasant surprise, I would say Jamie on Franklin, not that I didn't think he had it in him. That kid has so much on his plate with health problems from his parents and having to deal with that and being at a tough academic school still with Duke, he didn't go down in terms of less academic demands. I just think the world of Jamie on Franklin, I thought the other guys would do pretty well. Um, maybe Simon surprised me a little bit uh, with his productivity. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know that there was a, a ton of surprises like Jordan Johnson. I didn't I didn't think he was going to be a loss for Notre Dame. Um, I thought he was a bit overhyped, but I did not think he would be <laughs> as uh lackluster as he's turned out to be in terms of where he's what he's been able to do in college football, which has based, based, been basically nothing. Um, I think Franklin, ha- Jamie on Franklin, has been a nice surprise that he's been able to make a long career for himself, especially with with his injury history and everything. Um. I didn't think Dracovic, like especially after he had a good season at Boston College the first year, I didn't think he would take a, a downturn after that. I didn't, I did, I wasn't necessarily buying the like NFL hype that was following him after that season, but uh, I didn't think he would lead to where it's been so far. I think for for the most part, most other guys have been about what I've expected. Um, in terms of what I who would I have liked to see on Notre Dame's team for the twenty twenty three season, I. I probably from that list pick maybe Jacob Lacey or Logan Diggs. Um, 
I, I think certainly Notre Dame has running back depth, but I don't think any of them right now are as good as Logan Diggs is, um, as would would have been as the number two for Audric Estime. Um and then Lacey, like we the the interior defensive tackles have been so good for Notre Dame, but I think adding another guy in there would have been good. And then you don't have to play Howard Cross and Riley Mills as much as you have had to. Um, so I think those those would have been good additions for Notre Dame this season. Were there any of those guys you would like to add to the team, Eric? Did you mention that? You know, I would have had to go off the board. I I don't maybe Ovi a Gofu, um, and I can't even remember what he was at Texas. He's somewhere else now, but he's a guy that's had good pass rush stats wherever he's been. He's, since at, he's, he's at LSU. LSU. Uh, I don't know how much he's playing there, and if he's not, he could come play at Notre Dame. <laughs> I think maybe that would have helped at the Viper end spot with some more experience, you know. And again, he's had a pretty good track record at at Texas, at least. I pulled up his stats. Looks like he's had 14 tackles and no sacks, but one TFL and a forced fumble. Okay. All right, next question is from at Mike DeVoy1. Hi, Eric and Tyler. Hope you enjoyed the bye week, and happy birthday to Eric. I think this is Deion Colsey's final year, and Jaden Thomas only has one year left. Are there any bigger-bodied recruits coming in to fill the need at field wide receiver? I'll let you handle the second part of that. The first part is Deion Colsey is a true junior, so he has next year as well provided that he doesn't redshirt this year and he does have a redshirt year available and then he would have two years. But let's say that he um, that he plays in more than four games this year, then he would have next year. Jaden Thomas already redshirted, so he has a couple years after this year. Neither of those guys have COVID years. The last year that of guys eligible for COVID are guys that are true seniors this year. So you're going to start seeing those disappear pretty quickly. Yeah, I didn't know if Mike meant Deion, he did. He just thinks Deion Cozy won't come back in terms oh. of maybe transferring, um, which I I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, I I wouldn't necessarily rule it out, but um, in terms of who the who they have coming in in Notre Dame's currently committed 2024 class, there's two guys that I think could fill that role: Micah Gilbert. 63190 and Cam Williams 62194 Cam is a more explosive player than Micah is I for my in my opinion I mean Cam's a borderline five-star recruit whereas Micah Gilbert is is a, a, a more of a steady four-star guy um but I think those are those guys can play physically um and, and fill the role that you would need there at the boundary receiver because that's that's where you want your size rather than the field receiver role and Logan Sadalte is a slot guy yes correct all right. Uh, last question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. How many members of the current coaching staff do you think will be on staff in 2024? Which coaches do you think are most likely to not still be at Notre Dame? Boy, Marie, you should be on the message board. These are really good topics for that. Um, and topics that are harder for me to touch until after the season, but I will try to give it my best college try here. You know, Marcus Freeman said every member of the 2022 coaching staff had an at least one offer to go somewhere else. And I would imagine that that's probably going to be the case in most years. 
And I think you're also probably thinking of who might not be invited to come back. Um, I think for that part of it, we have to wait through the entire season to get to. But in terms of, uh, you know, if you wanted a number, I would say probably three is the maybe a, a good number to think of, you know, what turnover might be from year to year. Though the the guys that I think are most likely to get offers that are going to be really difficult for them to turn down, I would say Al Golden, you know, he's got to make, after this year, he could parlay that into either a head coaching position in college or maybe a defensive coordinator position in the pros. And that's what, at age 54, he's got to decide which of those tracks does he want to be on now. And he would have have the chance to do that. I think Dylan McCullough is going to get offers every year just because he's done well at the college level and done well at the pro level. And again, it's does he want to be an offensive coordinator in college or does he want to be a running backs coach in the NFL for a long time? I think he came back to college because he wants to be a head coach someday. But again, you know, your life circumstances may change that. He also came back to coach his sons and then ended up at Notre Dame and they ended up at schools other than IU. So, um, And then I think Mickens at this point, Mike Mickens, if he's not Notre Dame's next defensive coordinator, I think he's probably going to get some some really tempting looks from people. Yeah, I, I it's I mean, it's total guesswork at this point. Right. I mean, so much of it depends on like what jobs are available to these guys. Like if Dylan McCullough or Mike Mickens are offered coordinator jobs, um, I think it would be hard for those guys to turn those opportunities down if they want to continue on that path. I don't know that we've talked to Mike Mickens necessarily about that. I know Dylan McCullough has obviously expressed like that was a part of the reason he came back to college football was to, to potentially get on a track to become a coordinator and a head coach eventually. Um, Chancey Stuckey and Chris O'Leary were, were guys that were listening to opportunities last year. I don't, I don't know that Chancey Stuckey's stock would have necessarily raised a lot after the season, the wide receivers have had, although certainly being able to prepare some of the freshmen is, is not necessarily an easy task. Chris O'Leary, I think his stock would be rising based on the play of the safeties this year and, and what, what Xavier Watts has become. Um, and so maybe those are guys that people want to try to poach away from Notre Dame. I don't, I don't like, I know you sort of like, we can't really decide of like who we think would maybe be not be asked to return. I, I don't know that the list would be very long. Right. I mean, right. I think the, the person that everyone thinks is on the hot seat is Jared Parker um, as the offensive coordinator, but I don't, I don't know if, he would be fired um, after one season. Um, now, if the last four games went terribly for the offense, maybe that you know, becomes a more real conversation. Um, but uh, so, yeah, where where you put that number three, probably between two and four, it would be somewhere where like two to four, I think would probably be the right number when we talk about that. But it's just a guess at this point. All right. That is it for today's episode of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with anyone who has ideas of how to get Pat Narduzzi to stop hating Notre Dame so much.
As I mentioned earlier, we're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to InsideIndieSports.com. So please take advantage of that with the code NDPOD. That's N-D-P-O-D. Um, and we are back to our ro- routine this week. We had a football never sleeps over on YouTube on Monday. We will have a place your bets with predictions and prop bets um, on Friday on YouTube. And then we'll have our post-game takeaways on YouTube as well after the game on s- Saturday, late night Saturday. Um, and then we'll be back next week with another podcast. So we'll have plenty of written content over on the website as well. So stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. 